Well, we thank you for joining with us for our evening service again, and we pray that we would know the Lord's blessing as we read and think and meditate upon the word that he has given to us. May we begin our worship by singing in Psalm 103 of the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 103 in the Scottish Psalter, uh, beginning at verse 1 down to verse mark 4. O thou, my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. All thine iniquities who doth most graciously forgive, who thy diseases all and pains doth heal and thee relieve, who doth redeem thy life, that thou to death mayest not go down, who thee with loving kindness doth and tender mercies crown. We'll sing these verses to God's praise. Oh, thy my soul, bless God the Lord, and all Words that are beyond the value 
of words spoken by men, that the Spirit's voice will truly be our guide. The Lord's voice would be calling unto us as a good shepherd leading his sheep and that we would willingly follow that we would say the Lord is my shepherd and I have no want no wants shall I know that the shepherd is all that we need the shepherd Lord Jesus is all we need in our lives May we see, may you open our eyes, may your spirit enlighten ourselves and those who dwell in darkness, that you would approach them with your presence and with your convicting power, convicting them of the sin that lies within them, that they would acknowledge that they need a redeemer, that their sin before God leaves them wanting and that they will be justly punished for all their sins. What a redeemer we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a saviour we have to save us from sin. And Lord, we just pray that you would be over those who are battling their sin, battling sins that are unknown to the many, sins that lie deep within the hearts of men and only known unto the men themselves, but ultimately known unto you, and that they would call upon you to lift their burden and to bear the burden from their souls, that they would see and know of the one who has taken that burden from their shoulder. Lord, we pray for those who are weighed by sorrow and weighed by death, that you would comfort them in their losses, that they would know your presence around them. And may your word give them comfort to their hearts and to their souls. During this time, this strange time that we have experienced and the loss of many lives, we pray that your word would go with power amongst our nation and your word would be received gladly into the hearts of men. For we know that we have greatly, as a nation, rejected your word and lived our own lives and seek their own desires, our own wants. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us as a nation, that, you would, that we would turn ourselves to you again. We would seek your guidance, seek your wisdom, that we would know your goodness and know your grace. You would give us faith to lay hold upon you. Keep the evil one from us, we pray. We pray that you would be with our leaders and government, that you would be their wisdom, that you would be their guide, that they would see that they are just men in the hands of God. 
and given the position by God, not of their own doing. Lord, we pray for them, uphold them, uphold our Queen and her uh, government as well. Lord, be with us as your people, people who we know are not perfect. We know we have sinned, and we know we are inclined to sin, and that we are inclined to do the things we don't want to do. Sometimes we do do the things we don't want to do, and it grieves our souls. Lord, let us come to you humbly, acknowledging that we are in need of you, that our nature as sinful human beings means we are lacking in the presence of God. But you as our Saviour have died on the cross so that we may be accepted into the sight of your Father and the presence of his throne. What a day that will be. We cannot comprehend, we cannot understand what it truly means for us. But many know that their heart longs to be at home with their Saviour. Lead us in our thoughts this time. Guide us as we read your word and dwell upon it for a moment. Forgive us our sins, we pray. All these things we ask in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if I could say a word to the younger ones that are watching, and uh, maybe the older ones as well would like to listen too. Now, when I was a wee boy in school, a few years ago now, whenever I made a mistake in my homework or in my jotter, a teacher would usually put a red mark beside it, showing that I had done something wrong. And it's actually a good thing to know that you've done something wrong. Although it might uh, be hard to accept you've done something wrong, it's good to know our errors and when we make a mistake and that someone who knows better can show us where we have gone wrong. Now imagine yourself as a wee baby. But imagine this this piece of paper here. It's like you having just been born. And if you see in the top corner there is a small word sin, very faintly. And you are as probably as sinless as you can be uh, coming into the world when you are just born. Just like this piece of paper that is so clean. Ignore any writing if you can see any behind it. Pretend this is pure white, apart from a faint sin in the top corner. And then maybe as you live your life, with my pencil gone here, there we go. And then maybe as you live your life, you'll, you'll do something that is bad 
and you might end up something like this, or you might end up with something like this. Every sin that we do is marked on our lives. That's in there in pencil. So, well, we don't like sin. So, what we try to do is we go, we take the rubber. And we go, uh, rub that out so no one will see anything I've done wrong. And this isn't a very good rubber. <laughs> but what you have is, I hope you can see it, there's still a mark there that is very slightly. But maybe you can do something worse again and it is quite bad. And you know what? The rubber won't take it out as good. That's sin. It, it, it gets ingrained in the paper. It, it's, 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 it's actually... The, the, the pencil has marked the paper. The, the sin marks our lives. You can't get rid of it as much as you like to try. And then maybe you do something else. No, there's a pencil away. Maybe you do something really bad. And you end up with something like this. And that, 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 that won't rub out. That's pen. So oh, you don't want people to see how bad you are or things that you do wrong. So, well, we can. Maybe we can do that. That's the best we can do. We can cover it up. We can put something on top of it that hides the sin that we've done and the bad things that we've done. But you know what happens over time is that as we get older, we end up with something that looks like this. Just a mess. And all the bad things that we do, God knows them. And knows all our bad things. And, you know, we can't do anything. We can't do anything about this. We can cover, we've covered up as much as we can the sins, but we can't do anything. See, we make lots of mistakes, and we can't get rid of our sin. But there's a verse in Isaiah, chapter one. Maybe you can try and find it. I'm not going to tell you what verse it is. Chapter one. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. Now, reading Isaiah, it says your sins are like scarlet. That's like when we go and read the Bible, it tells us all these things that are wrong. And when we read the Bible, we end up with this our sins are like scarlet and they are like crimson. That's like the teacher that points out the mistakes that I made in my homework. The Word of God points out the mistakes. He's our teacher. The Word of God teaches us. And he shows us all this that is wrong. This is wrong. Sin is bad and it needs to be corrected. And the only person that can correct it is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can wash away 
the sins of our lives. But we have to ask him to. We have to pray and ask him that he will wash away my sins. He promises that he will part them as far as east is from the west. No one knows how far that is. As far as possible. That he will part them from us. We need to tell him that we've made these mistakes. And we need to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Trusting that Jesus and he will make us not a mark, not even the faintest of sin is there to the one who believes in Jesus Christ. The one person who believes in Jesus Christ and asks Jesus to forgive him his sins will be made white as snow and they shall become like wool with no sin. So if we ever see a red mark beside any mistakes that we make in our homework at school or in any stories or essays that we do, remember that the good teacher who shows us what is wrong and it is good to know and to know what the Bible teaches us is wrong. That's a good thing so that we can fix it through Jesus Christ and asking him to show us and to take that from us. So let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen. May we turn to God's word and read in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, and we'll begin our reading at verse 50. And we'll read through into chapter 18, verse 6 to verse 16. Let us hear the word of God. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistine saw that their champion was, de was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell all on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put his armour in his tent. 
As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. As Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were returning home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from the presence, from his presence, and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. For a few moments, I want us to consider uh, from chapter 18, uh, the first verse. As soon as Saul, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now the last time I led worship, we looked at the preliminary events concerning the battle of David and Goliath. I left you with the thought of David, the anointed king, representing the future king to come in the Lord Jesus. Bearing the weight of the Lord's chosen nation, his promised people, for each who held a belief in him, and those who held an unbelief in his ability, though he was chosen by God. In David's faithful going forth, he gives the nation freedom from enslavement and freedom to his father's household. But today I wanted to look at the aftermath. And I know we have thought of sort of skipped the actual fight from any detailed examination, but it is central to both aspects. And I suppose we know the outcome, and I just didn't feel drawn to write a sermon about it. So if we can bring to our thoughts today the reactions of victory, specifically in Saul and his son Jonathan. Saul, who seems to swallow a bitter pill and makes for himself within his soul a bitter battle. And Jonathan, who observes, he understands and he makes a sweet surrender before David. So we'll have Saul as a bitter battle and secondly, Jonathan as a sweet surrender. So let us take the bitter battle to begin with. This ba bitter battle within Saul, and we know Saul had been rejected by God. It says so in 1 Samuel 15 verse 23. But this seems to be the day that he swallows the bitter pill of God's rejection. His reaction to victory is of deep-rooted bitterness. It penetrates his life, and the woman's song kindles an anger towards David that would be an ever-increasing hatred throughout his lifetime. The bitterness contaminates his mind, body and soul. As we watch this unfold, we see that there is somewhat of a sad element in the life of Saul. And indeed, Samuel himself grieved over God's rejection of Saul. For he did not listen, nor did he obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord who delights in those who listen and in those who obey him. Now looking at verse 2, it says, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. It's a strange kind of verse, but looking at 1 Samuel 8, verse 11, uh, Samuel declares that the, this is what the king would be like. He would take your sons for his armies. But why is Saul doing this now with David? 
Yes, he is wanting them to go and fight for him and to do his duty for the king. But does Saul's heart incline us to think otherwise, that there is more to this verse other than him doing the king's duty? For he had done the duty as a lyre player, but he was allowed to return home. Was this the beginning of an indirect hostility towards David? This courageous boy, you know, he'll be far safer within my control. He takes him and refuses him to go home anymore. Because maybe he thinks he'll go home a hero. Saul would not want the people celebrating over this boy, looking up to him and praising him. This is proven later in the passage when the women praise David and he is angered at their singing. But probably the most solemn thing is that David firstly came to Saul and soothed his soul playing his lyre in chapter 16. Saul benefited personally from this provision that was made by God through David. But he doesn't seem to acknowledge him for it. There's no thanks for it. He doesn't know who David really was. It seems he didn't. Because when he goes out to fight Goliath and returns, or before he returns, he asks Abner, whose son is this youth? And then when he returns, he asks David himself, whose son are you, young man? Doesn't seem to add up when you look at it at first, but it doesn't say he didn't know David. He must have known. But it shows he didn't know his background. It shows he didn't care who he was, even after bringing him peace. The only person in Israel that could bring him peace and he... It just shows the selfishness of Saul. In that, taking all that was given for his good and not giving consideration or thought to the one who brought it. Refusing him to go home. He was told already that David was the son of Jesse when he came as a liar. But he didn't care as long as he benefited from what he could offer. He did not value what he had been given. He only knew David as this liar player and that's all he thought he was good for. Now I wonder as he stood in the valley of Elah as Goliath made his challenge. David had put on his armour and thrown it off. He told him to keep it. David goes off to pick up his five stones and is Saul there watching him go, thinking to himself, who will play music for me now? Who is going to soothe the pains within my soul? He said himself to David that he couldn't beat Goliath. And you know what? Maybe that's why he gave him his armour. Maybe it wasn't for David's good or to help David. 
Maybe within his heart, he was just protecting himself, preserving his own peace and hoping that his liar player would not be killed. He just doesn't see this gift. He's completely blinded. You know, he had the greatest musician maybe this world has known. He had the godliest musician this world has known. Of all the, well, the man who wrote the majority of the Psalms, and Saul's just not seen this. What a privilege it must have been to sit and listen to David just play. What a gift he had. A gift that he comes to grudge and jealously tries to spear. But I wonder if this is like anyone listening. You, you know, you know Jesus. You know of Jesus, you know Jesus as a person, you've heard his name, you know his name, but you don't know whose son he is. There's no care for him, even though he's gone to the cross. He's died for you, but you say, I didn't ask him to. He sets before you the greatest gift of salvation, and maybe he has revealed himself and the soothing element of his word to your soul. The peace that comes from his word. And, may, and he stands here today and he tells you who he is. I am the son of God. And on the other hand, He's effectively holding the devil's head. I'm the Lord who conquers. But he's asking you, will you take me to be your king? And what does Saul say? As many have said, not a chance. All the people around Saul are praising their saviour, David. They come in song at the works of David, and all he can say is, He will not have my kingdom, referencing verse 8. But who around you is praising their Saviour? Who amongst you is singing his song? They who faithfully Trust in Jesus, but you, my dear friend, let the battle go on. Are you bitter when you think of Christ? What are your thoughts when Christ says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Luke 17 verse 33. What do you think when he demands that you must be born again? That your sins will be your death? And that you must give up on everything else? And let me be your 
king. King Saul couldn't let anything go. He was his king. He had everything. He was proud of who he was. He had the provision of a king. Nobody will rule for I am the king. I do what I want. I do it when I want. Nobody will take my crown. I will preserve my kingship as long as I can. And we ask, are you still trying to preserve your life without King, without Christ as your King? Are you still firmly holding on to your own crown? See, pride was a Goliath and Saul. We all have our Goliaths, different everyone. The Goliath that we cannot overcome, the sin that is too strong for us, this bitter pill grows in Saul. Sin keeps prevailing within his heart to the point where it eats him up. This jealousy towards David consumes him. Goliath is winning this bitter battle within his heart. And he is effectively the one who lost against Goliath that day. He's far from singing David's song. He spoke many words against David. He threw many spears at him. He brought armies to try and kill him. But in the end, it was his own sword that he fell upon. Determined to go against the Lord's anointed. But the Lord's anointed was granted uh, kingship. The Lord's anointed was to be the king, whether Saul liked it or not. The devil keeps telling him, the devil keeps telling Saul to try again, try again. He doesn't leave David. David. David has a great unrest during this period of his life. He wants to get, Saul wants to get rid of him. He wants to silence him. Spurgeon wrote a quote. If we think we can do anything ourselves, all we shall get from God is the opportunity to do so. If you go against Jesus, you will never preserve your own peace. Jesus has given you the gift of salvation, but you must have him as king. There's the old saying of putting your pride in your pocket to forget yourself. And Augustine wrote the words, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. You know, there's a home for the proud and there's a home for the humble. 
hell. Many say it's where there is no presence of God. But listening to a talk by R.C. Sproul, he says, if you were to ask anyone in hell who they wished to leave, if they all had a vote for someone that they wanted to get rid of from hell, they would all answer God. His justice and wrath are present. There is a hatred of God in hell. They hate his song. They hate his victory. They hate his kingship. Frustrated at his goodness. Frustrated at his justice. Maybe frustration that the gospel stood right in front of them. Frustrated at themselves that they didn't bow the knee. And they know him. They know who Jesus is, as do the devils. But there was no surrender made, no trust given. It's no wonder they gnash their teeth. And knowing that salvation was before them so often, but forever rejecting him to be their king. Forever letting Goliath reign and enslave them to sin. Do you want that to be your eternity? There's no rest. There's no peace. Consider, if you will, what you do with the gospel and how you react to the victory of Jesus. Will you give up the battle of rejecting Jesus and have him as your king? Will you find a new home with the humble? Will you sacrifice all to Christ? Let us consider the sweet surrender and the sacrifice that Jonathan made. Our second point, the sweet surrender. This is Jonathan's reaction to victory. What a comparison between Jonathan and Saul between father and son, between the blind man and the one who sees. He recognises that truly the Lord is on David's side. I imagine Jonathan having just watched this courageous and assuming shepherd boy stand up and take on and defeat this Philistine enemy. Even for the ones who didn't believe he could do it. I think, you know, Jonathan's be watching all this and he's taking it in and processing it. Jonathan has the clearest sight of David, of all the nation of Israel. He's understanding that the Lord is at work in this man. And through this eye of faith, there seems to be a bond formed between the two where it says that their souls were knit together in verse 1. These two men are lovingly bound in a special friendship. Never were their friends so faithful to each other. And in a sense, I hope we can each relate to that. To know what it's like to have a friend like this in whom you can trust and confide in, 
and feel somewhat of that special tie. Likewise, the knitting of the souls together that is described. And we as believers in Christ are commanded to love one another. Maybe sometimes recognizing within each other the presence of the Lord. And it is like the knitting of the needle, drawing threads between them back and forth as they pass it between each other in fellowship and friendship and strengthening the bond with every pass. Strengthening the bond of brotherly love in Christ Jesus. And knitting that is sadly felt increasingly in this world when, when all threads are severed by death even when there are promises made between the two. But the Christian, he has this bond firstly with a friend more faithful than Jonathan. The Christian has a soul knit to Christ. And that knitting is likewise strengthened in fellowship of prayer and friendship of faith. Mindful that these are weakened when these are lacking. That our, our fellowship is weakened and our friendship and our faith is weakened when we are lacking in fellowship with our Saviour. You know, a more faithful covenant is made for the friend who loves Jesus. A promise of relationship made by Jesus in a covenant of grace which entails, as Catechism 20 tells us, to deliver them out of a state, to deliver them out of any state of sin and misery, and to bring them into any state of salvation by a Redeemer. That Redeemer was, jo was Jonathan's David. But Jonathan's David is a Christian's Christ. Their Saviour and Redeemer from a life of sin and misery. Will you watch and will you understand, like Jonathan, what Jesus has done and continues to do? But what purifies the sweetness of this friendship is his surrender. And almost unbelievable that Jonathan would surrender to David to begin with. If Jonathan, was, if Jonathan was going to step on anyone's toes, then, sh then sh sorry, if David was going to step on anyone's toes, then surely it would have been Jonathan's. Was David not a threat to Jonathan's future kingship? And you know, the Lord works in the most unlikely of people. Jonathan had the pride of overcoming the Philistines twice already, leading small armies and conquering them. And I wonder when Goliath made his challenge, was everyone looking in Jonathan's direction, waiting for him to respond? We don't know what happened, but he didn't accept the challenge. And I would like to suggest that he knew himself it wasn't his battle, 
and that he admitted he couldn't beat Goliath. I'm only saying this because if he had enough clarity to see the genuineness and the presence of the Lord and David after the battle, I can't help but feel he had the same wisdom and clarity regarding Goliath. Goliath was too much for him. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Jonathan was honest with himself, and that's one quality the Christian must have. Honesty with himself. But this beautiful surrender is, as we read in verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armour, and even his sword, and his bow and his belt. This picture, some say, Jonathan is like Christ here, giving David his kingly garments to the one who was clothed as a shepherd boy. But I don't feel that's quite in keeping with the imagery that the Bible presents as the King David representing the future king that was to come in Christ. No matter which way you look at it, or take the image, I suppose both serve a benefit in our thoughts. But I would rather it be that we are the Jonathan. David has just defied the enemy. He continues to represent Christ. He has won the battle. He has defied the devil. He has conquered the power of sin that we have to admit is too much for us if we are honest with ourselves. This is its beauty. Jonathan gave him everything. He gave up on his pride in his royal robe. He gave up on his security in his armour. He gave up on his strength in his sword and his confidence in his bow. He unbound them from him by releasing his belt. He gives everything to David. There are no barriers of pride. He humbly gives David his future. He gives him his life as king and he loses his own kingship. But really he gains life. Jonathan takes off his robes and he says to him effectively, Will you be my king clothed in majesty? He gives him his armour and he says, You will secure me against the schemes of the devil. He gives him his sword because Jonathan knows it will not save him. And he gives him his bow because in his bow he cannot trust. And his belt because David's belt will be his strength. For he trusts his life in his hands. Jonathan is surrendering everything that Saul is battling to retain. This is what it takes, my friend, to be prepared to loosen the world from yourself. Being honest with ourselves, 
and admitting that I can't do this, but having clarity enough to recognise the one who can. Easy to say, hard to do. And it's just as much for me as it is for you. Who is Jesus to you? You're sitting there with a Bible before you, I hope. What is that Bible to you? What do you hold when you pick it up in your hands? Are you as Jonathan that embraces it? Or are you as Saul that rejects it? Will you reject this gift? Maybe you fear the strength of the words that lie in its pages, like Saul feared David. Maybe the words of David's own psalms calm your soul, but you still don't trust in it. It honestly tells us who you must trust in, and it, the Bible demands who must be your king. We have looked at the reactions to victory, but what is your reaction to Jesus? What is your reaction to the victory of Christ Jesus? His victory against death, his victory against sin and the schemes of the devil, the empty tomb of Easter. Do you understand it like Jonathan? Do you embrace the Lord Jesus for what he has done and for what he offers to you if you will accept him as your king? He fought the fight for you. He endured the cross so you would be free from your sin. Are you watching this man in the words of the Bible, the Son of God? Do you see what he paid to redeem you? If only we would taste and see that the Lord is good. And that would be our song, that the Lord is good. Goliath was conquered. The fight had been fought. Saul standing there and this young man approaches him. Have you understood, have you like Saul understood who is standing before you? And have you seen what he has done for you? He's conquered the devil and he's telling you he's God's son. It does not matter that previously you doubted him, that you would not believe in him. Maybe you said you would not have him be your king already. That you wish to silence his voice and to kill him. But today is your opportunity to surrender your life at the cross of Calvary. That was Christ's battle on your behalf. Christ is the only victor against sin and death. What is it for you? 
Is it a bitter battle or a sweet surrender? Is his victory your life? Are you victorious in Christ Jesus? May the sight of his love knit your soul to him. In a covenant bond that will last for eternity, the humble man will have his home. All battles are done with. They are now at rest in dwellings of secure love. They surrendered, but Jesus saved, and there is nothing sweeter than that. May these thoughts be blessed to us today. May we conclude by singing Psalm 23 and sing Psalms. Psalm 23, sing Psalms, verses 1 to 6. Psalm 23, sing Psalms, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, no want shall I know. He makes me lie down where the green pastures grow. He leads me to rest where the calm waters flow. My wandering steps he brings back to his way in straight paths of righteousness making me stay. And this he has done his great name to display. Though I walk in death's valley where darkness is near because you are with me, no evil I'll fear. Your rod and your staff bring me comfort and cheer. In the sight of my enemies, a table you spread, the oil of rejoicing you pour on my head. My cup overflows and I am graciously fed. So surely your covenant mercy and grace will follow me closely in all of my ways. I will dwell in the house of the Lord Almighty. May that be our song for our lives. The Lord is my shepherd,
shepherd this day, will you be our king? Let us see who you are. Reveal to us your glory, reveal to us your grace. May we know you as the Son of God. May we know you as your Saviour. Be with us. May your Spirit guide us in our days. Forgive us our sins, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.